welcome to everybody a everybody gay a queer exploration once again of our og pretty little liars with your hosts speak pirate aka joanna i'm here i'm queer and i have a cat named spencer and your other host lco123 aka vina a proud member of the church of vander jesus hello hello we are back to the liars this week it's time for TikTok bitches. I have been kind of dreading season seven, but I have promised myself to go in with a positive attitude. I haven't rewatched many of these episodes, so I'm going in hoping maybe they'll be better than I remember. This episode, for example, turned out to be the queerest post-jump episode yet, thanks to the Spana or Alexana scene, uh, and the extended Emerson sex memory. But don't worry, it still has plenty of Caleb being a big old dick and time being meaningless the more they try to make it matter. All this plus night vision torture porn. Welcome to season seven, everyone. Let's go. <laughs> I feel like you're bringing some slight Aria hat party energy into this. And you know what? I'm here for it. I think I think we need to bring it. Um, yeah, this is sort of the classic almost Mad Libs PLL finale and or premiere episode. Uh, to no great surprise, it is written by Marlene and it has many of the Marlene touches. I'm talking 80 yard dialogue. I'm talking running around in the dark in like senseless orders. I'm talking people, you know, hiding in plain sight. I'm talking like time and pacing, like you said, feeling just really, really meaningless. Um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's a mess. We're diving right in. TikTok meant something entirely different when this episode premiered, which makes it feel like it happened a generation ago. Uh, yeah, uh, here we go. Here we go. Uh, are we ready to dive right in? I think we are. Would, would you like to take the shallow grave or shall I? I can take the shallow grave. Before we even get to the shallow grave, I think it is hilarious that the first line of this season from the previous Lees is Emily earnestly shouting at Hannah that you're the cheese when Hannah talks about how they're building a rat trap. Isn't that just where we are? PLL season seven, you're the cheese. Um, but we go to, we, we start in this, uh, you know, a classic, like in, we're in the middle of something happening. It's a flash forward moment. The liars are in the woods somewhere. They're digging a shallow grave. They're covered in dirt. They're covered in tears. Uh, they're talking about how, how could they let this happen? Hannah would have wanted this because notably Hannah is not among the liars here. Uh, how can we bury dot, dot, dot. There is no other way. Spencer snaps that this was a well thought out plan, but when it ends up like this, it's called first degree murder. Uh, already in this little one minute, I have a lot of questions. Uh, and spoiler alert, the eventual reveal of what's going on here will not exactly answer those questions in a satisfying way. Agreed. Agreed. This is, of course, a false flag. We're seeing them digging the grave for Rollins. And accidentally yeah. hitting him with a car when he's trying to murder Allison is very far from first degree murder. So good thing Spencer is actually not a lawyer. Well, and this is also a weird thing where like this isn't a flash forward to something we're going to see later in this episode. And it's not like it's a flash forward to the finale. It's a flash forward to something that's going to happen in like 
four episodes. So it's like, I mean, obviously they picked that moment because it's one of the only moments of like genuine dramatic stakes this half season. But it's just funny to like start the season with a flash forward of like, ah, we'll get to it in a couple episodes. Like, it's fine. It's fine. Well, they keep doing, they keep doing this, like the whole thing, the whole thing going into this episode is, hey, everybody, Hannah might be dead. Yeah. Like, the show is doing that without really understanding the impact of having played Charlie Brown in the football with us so many times. Like, yes. If, if there is a fan in the world who went into this season thinking, oh no, Hannah might really be dead, please email us because I I would love to talk to you about that. Um, yeah. You know, like, and they just keep going for it. We have this. We're, we're gonna get the we're gonna get the bell tower situation in a little while. We're gonna get the whole ticking clock of oh, but they might still kill Hannah. Uh, and it's just it's just a lot. It just it feels like wasted energy. Well, and it even goes beyond all of that within the episode because if you recall, the marketing was even trying to make it seem like like they were ha- they weren't having Ashley Benson like show up to press interviews and stuff. Oh yeah, they weren't having her. I mean, I'm sure she was really, I'm sure she was really okay. eager and Fair like point. very interested in spending a lot of time talking about the show at this point. You're right; they were like holding her back. <laughs> Okay, fair, that is a fair point. But they were also like, they were also like not including her photo in like the press stills and stuff. Which again, maybe it was just like she was like, no, I'm I'm not showing up to that photo shoot. I have a sex bench to purchase. Thank you very much. <laughs> ah, okay, so back back in the episode uh, after the shallow grave situation, uh, the, uh, the words flash across the screen four days earlier. The liars are arguing in front of the police station about whether slash what to tell the police regarding Hannah being kidnapped. Then, lo, a woman with Jessica De Laurentiis's face strolls into said police station. The liars are like, Allison wasn't the only one seeing ghosts. Well, right, you all saw that woman on the camera? Okay, okay, anyway. Um, the liars are instantly suspicious of this person because she was at the Lost Woods Resort. Spencer helpfully reminds them that when Jessica was buried in her yard, she was rotting corpse dead. Um, Caleb wants to take out the mixture of guilt and toxic masculinity coursing through his body by storming in there and beating the truth out of this person they've never met before. Uh, Toby is like, no, el boyfriendo, let me. He runs in to find out what's going on. Meanwhile, Emily makes a remark about who or what she is. Like, what are the options here, Emily? Vampire? Necromanced zombie? Corporeal ghost? <laughs> um, you know, also, isn't it fun? Isn't it super fun how the liars have, like, halted their panic about Hannah's kidnapping to focus on whatever's going on with good old Mary Drake? This is, like, the season of, look, something shiny level of investigation. And also so fun. Will it only be four days before the liars kill Rollins? Time is wild. It's wild here in Rosewood. Oh, man. Yeah, the the way that the liars have all just decided, well, obviously, Mary Drake 
is the connection to Hannah's kidnapping. Who, what, where, when, and why? Sure. Like, it just, that's the only logical explanation. Well, they decide that now, but then their their action on it is, like, very broken up throughout the episode. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, also, yeah, Caleb is just, like, so pissy. Like, there's a line where Spencer, like, voices concern about protecting Toby's job. And Caleb is like, like, why would you even say that, Spencer? Like, he is just, he is... Like, this is another moment where I'm like, why make this choice as the writers? Like, okay, you had Caleb and Hannah have their, you know, ill-fated makeout. Why then make the choice to be like, you know how we're going to make this all, like, you know how we're going to make people really vote for Caleb to, like, reunite? We're going to have Caleb just be, like, awful and pissy to Spencer constantly until, like, you don't even want them to interact. Like, it's, it's again, that way. And I something I think we really need to be keeping tabs on as we're moving through this season is, like, we are moving towards these end games, but in the worst way possible. And that is already definitely on display here with, with what's beginning to happen with Caleb. Oh, 100% agree. Uh, so in the police station, uh, Toby walks into a room where Mary Drake is waiting. He introduces himself as Officer Kavanaugh. And when he kind of notes that, you know, she looks a bit familiar, Mary Drake casually introduces herself as the new owner of the Lost Woods and Mary Drake. Uh, Toby kind of explains to the rest of the gang that this is Mary Drake. She was Jessica's, you know, twin that we have not heard about until this point. Mona quickly expositions to all of us that this must be Charlotte's biological mom and the lady from the Radley file. Uh, They are very upset to learn that uh, Mary is filing a report about them re uh, the (laughs) the break in and the fact that somebody, you know, dug a dug a hole in her floor like (laughs) and installed an electric fence. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's just just liar stuff. Um, They get an A.D. text about the bell tolling for Hannah just as the bell actually tolls. Uh, we do get kind of a funny scene of everyone racing over en masse. It has like a very the movie clue kind of crossed with it's a mad, 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 mad world vibe to it. Um, Ari is the least fast runner, which I do like as she is short and probably wearing impractical shoes in any given situation. Uh, they race up and see what appears to be Hannah's body hanging from the bell ropes. Gasps, tears. Caleb racing up the stairs, everyone following in his wake, trying to pull her to safety. Uh, They get the Hannah body laid out, and everyone is sobbing because she's dead, dead. But no, it is a coconut oil mask over a baby doll face. What's the rest of the body? Is it a mannequin? Is it like a scarecrow? What's the situation? Uh, Whatever it is, it has a pull chain in the back, like a chatty Kathy doll that gives them 24 hours to turn over Charlotte's real killer or Hannah dies. You know what my favorite part of this scene is? Focusing on the positive. Um, My favorite part is that at this point, Caleb looks at his phone and it is 4.01 a.m. And right as he does that, we see the light flooding in through the window of the bell tower like the sun was on it. 4 a.m. It is rising to truly <laughs> the sun is just like, fuck you, physics and the farmer's almanac. It is daytime. 
I I love that. I love that. Also, like, obviously, this was a real doll that they got from Lucas somehow. Like, I feel like Lucas has, like, a whole bunch of... It's his Hannah sex doll. It's his Hannah. It's, like, one of... It's, like, one of five. Like, Mary Drake showed up and was like, I hear you might be able to hook me up with a realistic Hannah doll. And he's like, oh, take your pick. We have her at many ages and in many styles of dress. (laughs) We have have one for each hairdo. They have like the bad girl Hannah with like yes. the white, the white blonde highlights and the leather jacket, and then they have like the homecoming court Hannah. Yep. Yeah. 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 I yeah. Agree. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so now we like officially have our twenty-four hour countdown. Uh, over at the Hastings house, Spencer is texting someone. It's not made entirely clear. Like she's texting AD back, but the way that they film this is just kind of bad. Uh, She's basically asking for proof that Hannah is actually still alive. Apparently, Veronica won the uh, election and then was like, I'm going to go on a cruise. Like, fuck politics. Fuck my new job. I'm going on a celebratory cruise. So she and Peter are on a cruise, uh, meaning that the Hastings house is open for business. Uh, Prezra, weirdly, is like almost the voice of reason in this scene, asking essentially like, wasn't the whole last half season about solving Charlotte's murder? Like, how are we actually going to make a dent in this in the next 24 hours? Uh, the liars are basically like, well, now we're invested and we're all working together. And don't ask so many questions, Prezra. It's fine. We're going to figure it out. We're going to solve it. Uh, Mona is the one who's like, we all have pieces of the puzzle that we can use if we put them together. Uh, Emily argues that Mary must be AD because what bigger motive is there? Uh, now all they need to do is share what they know and what they believe. And there are many suspicious looks flitting around this room. My favorite part of this scene is Mona. She's great in every scene that she's in. And she is not exactly saying out loud, you should have asked me for help earlier, all ye bags of hair. But you can tell she's thinking it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it is like heavily implied that she's like, well, what's different this time is that I am here. Yes, yes. Uh, Elsewhere, in a ramshackle barn with a hole in the roof, and which generally looks like it's falling apart and may not be terribly difficult to escape from, (laughs) Hannah hears a car engine revving. She pounds on the door, begging her captor not to leave her here. Uh, Her lip is split. There's a lot of blood. She's also in her underwear and a tank. All her other clothes are missing. She is not chained up, which is different than what I've remembered, uh, but she is in a bad way and desperate for escape. Uh, this is uh, this is actually probably like one of the less bad Hannah in the barn scenes that we're gonna get this episode, um, but it's still, it's still not great. Like Hannah captured in her underwear, um, not a good look show. I mean, you know what I mean. Uh, yes, yeah, the underwear is a, it's a weird choice. It's also, you know, you have kind of talked about the way that it's like the narrative sort of punishes Hannah as like the loose woman here. It feels really strange that like normally when the liars are in peril, they're at least in peril with each other and they can like lean on one another and they can be there for one another and they can comfort one another. And the fact that Hannah is isolated and like in this be like being framed and tortured in this very like sexualized way is super weird. And I think like this whole storyline and it will become more apparent as this episode goes on like 
They're definitely taking a lot of tropes from other media where women are have been kidnapped and tortured. And one of the references absolutely in this is Silence of the Lambs. Like this feels very like, you know, she's not in a pit, but like she's begging for her life. She's begging not to be left alone. She's, you know, stripped down bare and in this like scary, dark place. And it's super, super gross that the show is kind of playing with that reference when we know their terrible track record with trans representation. Uh, I completely agree. Also, I feel like there's a definite parallel between what Allison is going through and what Hannah is going through in this episode. Like, yeah. Hannah, Hannah worked so hard to kind of transform herself into Allison when they were in high school. And the, the kind of ending line of this episode is, karma's a bitch and so are you, uh, to Allison. And I think that that is also what they're doing to Hannah here. Oh, you wanted to be like Allison? You wanted to be the the trollop who's going to be kissing other people's boyfriends? Well, have some torture porn then. Um, and it's, again, not great. Not great at all. It's also just, like, this episode is more so than usual, I think, seems re- seemed really incompetently filmed to me. Like, <laughs> it's hard to tell what we, what's going on and where we are. The lighting is really dark. Um, and all of the barn scenes are an example of this. Yes, it is a very badly filmed episode. I completely agree. Also, it's cut in really strange ways. The transitions between scenes are often kind of jarring. And for a premiere episode, like, you know, usually like an episode that is just packed full of stuff um, based on its positioning, there are a lot of just like drawn out filler camera shots in this episode. Yeah. Like we, there was this scene earlier where Toby is going into the police station and for whatever fucking reason we have like, it's like there's a GoPro on his head. Like we see him like (laughs) hell entering the police station and finding Mary Drake. Uh, And there are going to be shots like that. Like Aria goes to Ezra's and we get this like, weird pan over his shitty apartment uh and then it looks out onto the bell tower and stuff and like you know it's not just like emily's going into the de laurentis house it's like a doorknob turns and someone enters the de laurentis you know like we just have it feels like probably at least like two to three minutes of this episode are just those weird weird shots Well, and also for an episode where the liars are ostensibly on a clock and have something very urgent (laughs) that they're trying to do, there's a lot of lounging in this episode. Like, there's a lot of people, like, sitting in cars, sitting on couches, like, getting coffee. Like, there's a lot of leisure happening in this episode, like, more so than it seems like there should be. Uh, Oh, go ahead. No, no, I feel like that leads right into this next scene (sighs) perfectly. Case in point. How have the liars decided that they are going to solve this murder? Are they going to make an evidence board? Are they going to pool their resources? Are they going to, you know, compile a list maybe of like all of the evidence that they have found? No. They're going to take a hat and all write on little tiny slips of paper who they think killed Charlotte de Laurentiis shake up the paper like we're in, you know, some kind of like game of charades or something. And then Mona is going to read out each piece of paper. Whoever gets the most votes, uh, the liars will then like retroactively fit all of the evidence to uh, make it work basically for like how this person could have killed, could have killed Charlotte. It is 
somehow a uh, more convoluted process than like the way that people get eliminated on episodes of Drag Race these days. Like it is just, it is really, it is really something. So we're having this anonymous vote. Uh, Mona reads out the results, which this is surprising to me that uh, like Caleb, for example, would agree to have Mona be the one to read the results. Also, it's funny because Mona is actually the person who killed Charlotte. So it's like (laughs) she could really read whatever she wants. Um, There are the most votes for Allison, uh, despite this having not really been floated as a theory this entire time. Uh, Spencer and Mona also each get a vote. There's one person who has abstained, which this feels like a time when maybe that shouldn't be allowed. Uh, so now we have decided Allison got the most votes. Therefore, she must be the killer. Therefore, it's time to fit a motive and opportunity onto this situation. Um, this, this is not how you solve a crime, liars. Like, I, it's just, it's just simply not. Yeah, and also, it's not even like, It's not even like they have a rundown of like, okay, every person who got a vote, we're going to think about whether they could have murdered Charlotte. Why or why not? Is there anything that we're missing? Like, they didn't even like go over like, okay, here are all the suspects we have. How can we prove or disprove their involvement? No, it's just like, it's just like this like weird, this weird like charades hat democratic process where they're like, well, Congratulations, Allison has been voted most likely to be the killer, um, but love this energy for them, that they are going for this murder mystery party vibe uh, yeah. in the face of the ticking clock. Very nice. Um, also, really, really love the uh, moment when Mona reads out her own name and kind of like looks fondly over at Spencer, knowing she is the one who put it in. And then, of course, reading out Spencer's name, knowing that she, Mona, is the one who wrote that down. Um, Really like that. I mean, we don't know that they're talking about murder for sure. Like, is it possible that Spencer and Mona thought this was going to turn into a tea party? I think it's entirely possible. Asking. Well, I think a thing that's worth mentioning, too, is like, so... 6B, you know, this it was the weird time jump period. It was like the immediate aftermath of the time jump, the immediate aftermath of the whole Charlotte reveal. Uh, you know, they killed Charlotte off. And then that whole half season is like them being like, well, it's, you know, Byron and the golf clubs. It's Melissa and the and the part from the suitcase. It's like we're just kind of throwing out random objects and random suspects. Uh, there is really a feeling that the writers or somebody involved in the process were aware that we needed a bit of a reset with season seven, but they just didn't know exactly what that was. They just knew that like something had to change. So there is this real sense in this episode. It's like, okay, Allison is the new suspect. She has not been a suspect at all. We are not even talking about any of the other suspects or any of the other suspected murder weapons. Like we're resetting the board. And that's happening with, like, a lot of storylines, I feel like. I feel like Emerson very much gets that treatment in this episode. Um, I feel like even, like, Presria kind of gets that treatment in this episode because it's, like, we're, like, edging Liam as far out as we can. Like, there is sort of this sense of, like, definitely the Mary Drake thing. It's, like, okay, we're, like, coming – everybody's, like, coming back to the table and we've, like, you know, washed all of our dishes. The thing is they don't really have anything, like – and like a new good food to like put on the clean dishes. <laughs> it's true. Well, instead of the murder weapon, again, a murder weapon is not mentioned here. No. And and may not 
like we may not have mention of a murder weapon ever again like we'll yeah. keep an eye on it for you but until we find out that it was like a nail in the wall um we, we are not going to hear again about a murder weapon situation um but now the new thing that we're all looking for is the red sweater whoever has a yes. red sweater is the murderer uh ladies you know empty your purses gentlemen turn out your pockets whoever has the red sweater is probably the killer charlotte was now killed with a red sweater everyone get on board um the motive work that they're doing here is Allie's evil no charlotte was evil maybe it was self-defense burn the witches um that's that's basically where they're at uh they get a picture of hannah looking terrified and beaten up but like the direction here uh makes it seem like it also could be like a fashion photo shoot an extremely questionable taste yeah uh, caleb fondles the picture on mona's phone uh while everyone else is shooketh they decide that emily will go to welby to confront allison about maybe being a murderer while allison is like in this mental institution uh, the others will split up between searching Allie's house for the possibly bloody red sweater and surveilling Mary Drake, who may be the most direct link to Hannah. Yeah, it's like a Terry Richardson photo shoot. Like that's kind of that's kind of the vibe of the Hannah picture, I feel. Oh yeah, like this looks like like, like this would have been an American apparel ad, like in yeah. like in you know, two thousand and two. Uh, yeah. So yeah. For sure. Is, essentially what the photo looks like despite the fact that like aria several times in this episode is going to look at the photo and be like she looks so scared <laughs> i love that they have aria say that twice also the way that we get to this red sweater MacGuffin, is that we go back into a flashback of the night that aria and prezra didn't kill charlotte despite like initial suspicion that they did and aria is like oh well I saw this blonde woman walking toward the bell tower at the time. And like for the last, however long it's been since Charlotte's murder, I assumed that it was Charlotte. Never mind the fact that she wasn't wearing the clothes that Charlotte was wearing when she was killed. Uh, but you know, like she was blonde. So it could have been Allison. Like that is how we get to that point. It's like, well, blonde hair, maybe Allison. Sure. Why not? <laughs> Seems a little weak, but okay. I do yeah. like, I do like the way Mona's like, I'm all over Mary Drake. And I'm like, Mona, tell me, tell, tell me more about what that entails. <laughs> okay. So over at the Lost Woods, Caleb, Toby, Mona, and Spencer are all standing, not terribly well concealed behind some plants, very obviously staring at Mary Drake unloading some bags from her truck. Uh, what is in those bags, they ask. Uh, they all dash back to the car as Mary Drake, you know, leaves. And Caleb clearly doesn't want to be around Spencer. And so it is decided that Caleb and Mona will tail Mary Drake while Spencer and Toby continue investigating the Lost Woods. Uh, for some reason, Toby is the one who needs to pick the lock, even though we know that Spencer is like a noted lock picker. And of course, seeing Toby pick a lock, like, clearly turns Spencer on, which is gross. But you know what? I'm just going to say, like, if you told me watching this episode, you have to be, like, Team Spalub or Team Spoby, 
I would be Team Spoby. Like, they are the more likable ship in this episode, and I do not like Spoby. I am on record with that. Oh, I well, I completely agree, but that is, like, okay, so here's the situation. Spoby, <laughs> Spoby is the ship that is inevitably going to hit the iceberg. So yeah. you don't really want to be on that ship. No. However, in this episode, Spalib is the ship that is about to hit the iceberg and is also on fire and also has like yeah. the dinosaurs from Jurassic Park <laughs> running loose on the deck um, and like also is being sucked into a black hole. Like yeah. that is the level uh, that Spalib is coming in at. So in comparison, the ship that is merely about to hit the iceberg, like you might get a lifeboat. I mean, some yeah. people probably will. Um, so yeah, you're, it's just, it's a matter of the odds, I feel like, so. It's basically become a thing of, like, whichever man is screaming at Spencer less in any uh-huh. given episode yeah. comes across as, like, the more suitable romantic partner. The, so the it's like gentlemanly suitor. Exactly. And often Spoby is the, or often Toby is the one screaming at Spencer, but this episode, Caleb is the one screaming at Spencer, so Toby's looking real great. Yeah, yeah. Um, really, the moment when uh, Caleb, like, says they don't need to come with him. Uh, Spencer looks like Willow when she confronts Xander about dating Cordelia on Buffy. Like, Caleb driving off with Mona means that he would rather work this case with someone that he has hated for years than work this case with her. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So Emily is at Welby. Uh, Instead of confronting Allison about the murder, instead she's having a confab with Dr. Rollins about Mary Drake. He appears shocked. And he also says Allison has had a complete psychotic break since Emily checked her in. It's because of her shame and guilt. But over what? <laughs> Emily, think of anything Allison might have done, eh? Uh, Emily demurs and says, uh, you know, no, of course not. No. And then we get a code white called, which I'm, I'm sure that's a real thing. Uh, <laughs> This apparently means that Allison is flailing against her restraints uh, and telling Rollins when he comes in to get the fuck away from her until he sedates her with a shot to the arm. Emily looks on in horror. Yeah, you know, in the earlier seasons of the show, the trauma against the liars, not to delegitimize it, but it was often like fun and campy. And like at this point, it's like horrible medical trauma and like, waterboarding basically like it's it's really I really don't like this like intense medical trauma against Allison here well okay so it's like when the liars were in the dollhouse which was like another era of like overt torture of of the liars the things that we saw when they were in the dollhouse was like they're being moved around like dolls they're they're being like it's like we're gonna pretend that they have agency here uh, and, and you know, etc. They have each other, um, you know, there are these things that are going on. But it's, it was never like, it never felt like they were being tortured for like, just like the gratification of the audience, which is yeah. what it feels like here. Like they're separated. They're like, like Allison is like actually like restrained to the bed. Uh, Hannah is, like, unable to escape this, like, ramshackle barn that she's being held in, um, and things are just being done to them against their will. So it does, it does feel really, really different. 
Well, and somewhere in this timeline, like Allison is being forcibly impregnated, lest mm-hmm. lest we mm-hmm. forget. So we've got a lot to get through in the four days until they really watch. <laughs> like there is a lot that is going to happen. So buckle up, everyone. It's a busy four days. Um, also, I just had a hearty laugh at this scene opening with the line, It's strange that Allie didn't know her mother had a twin. You don't say Rollins. You don't say. Um, also, I have pointed this out before. I will point it out again. Uh, Elliot is like, so how do you know that Mary Drake was Charlotte's mother? And Emily <laughs> is like, well, you know, Mary Drake, Cece Drake. I just sort of put two and two together. It seemed pretty logical. To which I ask, is Drake Jessica De Laurentiis's maiden name? Uh, in which case... Has nobody at any point pointed out that it's a little bit weird that Allison's friend, who looks eerily like her, popped up with the same name as Jessica De Laurentiis's maiden name? Just, just a question. Just a question. Don't ask questions. <laughs> yeah, no, don't ask questions. The 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 like Drake Laurentiis family tree continues to boggle the mind. Uh, Back over at the Lost Woods, Toby and Spencer have found many, many books written in various languages. Uh, We get like the episode's one cute character detail, which is that Spencer is obsessed with a language app where when she, uh, you know, gets to a certain level, she gets this little flag and gets to fly off to various countries. And there's sort of this implication that like if her life was not the life of a liar or constantly being tortured, like she would actually be getting to legitimately go off and have these adventures. But you know, the, the, the bell tolls in Rosewood for one Spencer Hastings. Um, It's like, I think this detail is super cute. I am, I am less charmed by the fact that like Toby is obviously finding it very cute. Uh, They just kind of decide based on all of these books that Mary Drake has traveled the world and that because she's been in Pennsylvania since before Charlotte died, that obviously means that she had ample time to turn herself into A.D. Yeah, like things that are not suspicious. Having some stuff that you're moving into the place that you're moving to. Yes. Owning books. Even, yeah. I would say, owning books in foreign languages. Not inherently suspicious. Uh, things that are suspicious, how, you know, having a book about how to wage cyber war. Um, things that are not suspicious, having a passport, uh, things that are suspicious, according to Tobey and Spencer, everything, everything, if it's related to Mary Drake, it is definitely suspicious. Oh, so, yes. Good, that, yeah. good, good work, detectives. Yes. Uh, so, oh, Presria, <laughs> Presria are on the breaking into Allison's house portion of this caper. Uh, it goes as well as you would expect. Uh, they don't even really have to break in because Emily had a key, which she has given them for this purpose. Uh, and Aria takes an extra long time to go inside, casting like a lingering glance around the neighborhood to clearly convey that they are up to no good. Um, after like a half second glance at the closet, Aria goes to search for the sweater in Allison's panty drawer. Uh, Presra tries to open a locked storage ottoman, uh, but Arya is worried he might find a sex toy. That's so Arya. Also so Arya, Rollins is coming home, so oop, they need to hide. From their vantage point in the closet, they see Rollins open the locked ottoman to take out a black hoodie. 
he's putting it in a bag and gathering like a bone saw and some other medical supplies in another room. When he comes back and throws open the closet that Prezria were just hiding in, they have fortunately scampered out a window and are now ducking down just out of Rollins's fight. Oh man, you know, we did our episode talking about like, why don't the liars ever get to masturbate? I think it's super weird that like the two times sex toys have ever been referenced on this show. One was at Hannah's bachelorette party and the second is Aria in this scene. Um, It's like a very just, it's interesting that that's where Aria's mind immediately went. Um, Also, Rollins signifies that he has come home and is evil and British by immediately turning on British news service, which is news (laughs) only about British people by and for British people, especially evil British doctors. Um. So over at the Hastings house, Spencer calls Caleb, offering to bring him food. Uh, He snaps that food is the last thing on his mind. Uh, And she kind of tries to, like, you know, engage with him a little bit. And he all but hangs up on her. Uh, Great job, Caleb. Great boyfriending here. Uh, On the Mary Drake beat, uh, Mona is trying to blue star her. But today, the blue star only works halfway. And she can't tell who Mary is talking to. Uh, But what Mary is doing is buying a bunch of clean up your murder scene supplies. Um, Caleb and Mona are divided as to whether Hannah could be dead or alive. Caleb snaps at Mona that if she were dead, they wouldn't have a use for that tarp. And it's like, it's it's just like, Caleb is like mansplaining Hannah's murder here. Um, Okay, okay. Uh, They're excited at the thought that Mary may lead them right to Hannah, except that it seems like she is also planning on murdering her pretty much immediately. It's funny because, like, we've talked a lot about the ways in which Caleb, like, shows complete disrespect and disbelief in Hannah's intelligence. And I feel like he is treating everybody else in this storyline the way that he treats Hannah a lot of the time. Like when she has a plan that he doesn't agree with, it's like everybody is too stupid to solve this murder or this kidnapping except for him. And like he wants people's help, but he only wants it on his own terms. And like he doesn't really trust or believe anybody, but he wants them to like unquestionably accept everything that he says. He is so unlikable in this episode. This might be the most unlikable unlikable Caleb episode to date. I would agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. Uh, So meanwhile, in, you know, continuing our homage to Silence of the Lambs, uh, Hannah is being, this is this the first time that the goggles come into play? Yes. Yes. So it's the classic, you know, the, the, the goggles that give the green glow, the glow, the, the, you know, seeing in the dark goggles, they have the, the hum that like, I mean, this is like the music cue is literally Silence of the Lambs. Um, Hannah is in her underwear. She is being sprayed with a hose and then like burned with an electric cattle prod. It's like, it's just very gruesome. And it's a lot of like Hannah screaming and begging for this person to stop. Uh, And it's just very, very gross. It's torture porn. Oh, it's complete torture porn. It's like we have like the close up on her face of her crying and screaming. And yeah, it's absolute torture porn. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, Elsewhere, Caleb is driving and looking mad. They've been driving around for hours. It's dark now. Where is Mary Drake taking them? Uh, This is about as good as when they were like, 
not concealed in the bushes they were watching Mary Drake from. I don't know what you think if you're Mary Drake. Like there are these like there are these people who are watching you from the bushes of your lost woods after they broke in, and, like messed up your property. Uh, and now they are following her, and there's like no other cars on the road. It's just the two of them, and they're like not even very far behind her yep. at all. Um, so this is this is happening. They're they're tailing her, doing such a good job. Um, where is Mary taking them? Oh, look, she's going back to Allison's house. Nope, nope, wait. She is going to Spencer's. Caleb texts Spencer to say, don't answer the door. It's Mary Drake. Spencer does not get it. Okay, okay. Now, I know. I said I was going to try and stay positive. So, here I present to you a list of what I think all the other characters might be doing right now while Hannah is being torture porn. Because it's night now. Like, I don't know yeah. the last, I don't know when the last time we got the countdown clock was, but it doesn't matter. Time doesn't really exist. Um, but it's dark, it's night, TikTok bitches. Yeah. What do I think everyone is doing? Uh, Tobey, I think he is reading one of the French textbooks while stoned on gummy bears. Okay. Um, Presria, I think that they were trying to investigate the murder, then saw there was a showing of Breakfast at Tiffany's at a local art cinema, now having coffee and discussing the cat with no name and whether it could be the killer. Okay. Um, Emily stopped into the brew where one of the baristas was like, where have you been? You told me to cover for you like six years ago and I've been trapped here. Like the champion of the castle, the plucked eye and heart. That's a reference to Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell, which I just spent 10 minutes looking up because fun for everyone here in this episode. Uh, or she is using this time to seduce an attractive nurse at Welby to try and get info on Allie and Rollins, but the show cannot show it due to how very gay it is. Or she has ceased to exist entirely because there were no heterosexual hijinks in her immediate vicinity. But I'm sure everyone is doing their very best to find Hannah as the clock ticks down. Everyone is equally invested. No doubt. I like your theories a lot. I like your theories a lot. My favorite part about this scene is that they've been driving around for hours, Caleb says. They've been driving around following Mary Drake for hours. And they realize that they're being led back to Allison. No, wait, Spencer's. And it's like, it's not like... Allison and Spencer's houses are, you know, in the middle of a city in an apartment building, like somewhere kind of just like out in the world. Like they're in a very specific part of town that like seemingly there aren't a ton of like entries and exits <laughs> to. Like it would be pretty clear for like a while ahead of time if they were being led to uh, Spencer's and or Allison's. But I like the the utter shock uh, that it happened so quickly, in fact, that, like, Caleb barely has time to text Spencer before they realize what's happening. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so, meanwhile, Spencer, here's a knock on the door. Uh, she doesn't really engage with the text. She answers the door, and there is Mary Drake, who, like, in retrospect, everything that's happening with Mary Drake and Spencer and that's going to happen with Alex Drake is extremely obvious based on this episode because immediately we see that Mary Drake has the exact same hair as Spencer. Uh, she is very, very casual uh, and says, you know, she's Jessica De Laurentiis's twin and she is looking for Spencer's parents. 
Uh, Spencer offers tea, even though, you know, her parents are out of town. Mary comes in. I really kind of have to respect Mary's tactic of just showing up in Rosewood. This woman who nobody has heard of before, who has the same face as a woman who was murdered, whose murder still remains unsolved to this day. A woman whose murder she is, in fact, responsible for. Um, you know, the this woman who had an affair with Spencer's father. I really admire her tactic of being like, I'm going to show up in this town and I'm going to simultaneously be so weird and off-putting and also act like it is extremely normal that I am here to the point that it's like nobody can really ask questions because she's she's not really hiding her identity. She's like, what? I'm Jessica's twin you've never heard of. Like, what do you say to that? And it's like, what do you say to that? You just kind of have to accept it. <laughs> um, I love a lot of things about what's happening here. Um, one of the things that I love is that the, um, the like shades on the patio door are down and they're down unevenly. Like one is like up at a height where you could see someone who is standing out there. And the other one is down just enough so that Mary Drake's face is concealed and Spencer won't know, oh, look, it's Mary Drake on the other side of the door. Um, so I love that. Um, I also really love, like, the chutzpah of Mary Drake. Remember the time that Jessica dropped in to get Veronica to donate to the charity wedding dress event? Yeah. I feel like Mary is really, like, showing herself as Jessica's sister. Uh, here she comes. She's implying uh, that she and the Hastings have a lot in common, uh, definitely acting like maybe she slept with Peter and Veronica. Um, and when she comes in and she drops a mention of how much she loves caffeine, she like looks around the barn space like an absolutely unhinged loon, like 10 yes. 10 on the great creepy face work there. Oh, for sure. And the way she's like, well, I've never been one to turn down caffeine. <laughs> Spencer, my daughter. Like it's it's so it's so much. It's really much. But you know, again, like I I I don't love Mary Drake as a story concept. I love Mary Drake as an Andrea Parker performance because she is oh, yes. she is having a meal with this character and it's really, really fun. Well, you know what? We're, I don't know if we're going to see Tanner again for a while, but there was just a lot of scenery laying around and yeah. somebody needs to come in and just chew it up, um, which Mary Drake is doing most vigorously. You know, I agree. I almost feel like Andrea Parker is playing this character as a drag queen a little mm. bit, which mm. I really, I really enjoy. I like that. I like that. Um, okay. So the seducing a nurse theory is a winner. <laughs> Emily is on the phone with Aria, who's on her way to the second showing of Breakfast at Tiffany. has a, a quick minute to mention that time is running out. Um, but Emily has been waiting around and is about to get to visit with Allison, who appears to be in a drugged sleep. Emily creeps in and says, Hannah's in trouble. They need the truth about Charlotte. She leans in and asks Allison, did you do it? Is she the killer? Allison bolts awake, crying out to God, help her, forgive her. Emily seems to take this as a confession, whereas I feel it is clearly, clearly, clearly more about internalized biphobia. 
Oh, for sure. For sure. Yes. But, you know, I mean, like, it wouldn't be an episode of PLL if Emily wasn't making a wild logic jump about some piece of information that somebody gave her. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, So Mary Drake is looking at a picture of Spencer and Melissa, and she says, you and your sister look so much alike. Almost like twins. Did everybody get that? I said twins because Spencer, in fact, has a twin. Uh, Spencer (laughs) says that people used to think that when they were younger. Uh, Mary asks if they are close. And Spencer has probably my favorite line of the episode when she says, occasionally. She mentions that her parents never talked about Mary. And Mary replies that her parents are excellent secret keepers. When Spencer asks, why would they keep you a secret? I answer, because of the threesome, Spencer, obviously. Uh, But Mary says that Jessica turned everyone against her because Mary was born first and Jessica was born jealous. Uh, When Spencer asks why Mary is back now, she replies it's because she found out Jessica was dead. Well, time to go. Thanks for the tea. Uh, Mary says uh, that she is, or Spencer asks, you know, Mary about the Lost Woods. Uh, Mary says that she is all alone at the Lost Woods. Uh, She has no children. And Spencer makes mention of, and I actually liked this moment where it's like, it's the classic, like, well, wait a minute. How did you know that I'm at the Lost Woods? And Spencer actually tells the truth, sort of. She's like, well, it's a small town. My ex-boyfriend, you know, he was the cop that you talked to. He, you know, he told me. And uh, Mary says that Spencer is a very lucky young woman. Mary hasn't managed to be friends with any of her ex-lovers, which probably points to all the animosity between her and the Hastings. I also like that she said ex-lovers, no gender specified. And also, just to like bring up, you could just say like exes. Like you could just say, I haven't stayed friends with any of my exes. Um, But no, she's like my ex-lovers. Yes. It's just like, okay. Mary Drake. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Doing the most. Doing the most. She's almost like goth Samantha Jones a little bit. Oh, I like that. I like You know? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what are Presria doing after watching Breakfast at Tiffany's for the second time? (laughs) Well, (laughs) not hard to guess. They are hanging out talking about their relationship, which is like, I mean, if you guessed that that was what they were doing at any given time in any given episode, you would have like a pretty decent chance of being right, I feel. Um, Liam barely exists anymore. Uh, are, are they a we again? Arya needs to think about it before they can talk about it. Uh, in the meantime, Prezra does suggest that Arya take a nap. Self-care is very important after staring at the fashionable torture porn pictures and again observing that Hannah looks so scared. I actually think the reason that that line is in here twice is because it was ADR and they just were like, we need another couple seconds. And so it gets thrown in here as well. Oh, yeah. It's the exact same delivery for sure. Um, I feel like I had that Kardashian meme in mind where it's like people are dying. Like that is very much the vibe of this scene. It's like, Arya, your friend might be dying. Maybe now isn't the time for the what are we conversation. Just saying. Also, like they're 
goal was to like work on this red sweater angle. Like yes. even if they were thwarted by Rollins being home, like could they manufacture some other way to be in the house with him knowing that they're there? Could they like do some more research on Allison as the killer? Like could could they do something, anything, something related to the investigation? Well, it, like Emily was talking to Rollins. Couldn't they have set up a thing where like Emily would stall Rollins while Arya yeah. and Prezra like looked through the house or something? Yeah, or like lure him out of the house. Like yes. make, up, uh, make up an emergency at Welby, a code white that he doesn't get back <laughs> over there for. It, it's another code white. What does it mean? Who cares? <laughs> um, so at the brew. Emily, like, interacts with Arya briefly um, as Arya is leaving. Uh, Emily lies about not being able to see Allison, then asks Arya for the key back to the De Laurentiis house. Emily seems somewhat lost in thought when she is approached by Sabrina, who asks how she is and then immediately accuses her of lying and then kind of snaps that it was a joke. Like, I feel like Sabrina is not very fun. Like, she is not (laughs) Sabrina, I feel like she was maybe the kid who, like, reminded the teacher when there was homework. That's kind of the energy that I'm getting from Sabrina. Um, Emily, who is somewhat tearful at this point, says that someone she cares very deeply for might have done a bad thing. And another friend is paying the price for it. Sabrina closes down the brew and suggests some lemon bars. Which is Emily's love language baked goods. And also, maybe now is not the time to like sit down, eat a lemon bar, and dissect your Allison feelings, Emily. Like, again, I, I will say, like, Hannah is maybe about to die. Yes, that's true. But I'm still going to say uh, that for things we have seen, love interests at the brew offer Emily lemon bars are a lot better than the plate of mashed potatoes yes. that Talia gave her. The so, unsexy plate of mashed potatoes. Yes. I mean, regardless of where you feel like the chemistry is for either of those couples, I do think that the lemon bars, um, lemon bars in time of crisis probably beat out the weird plate of mashed potatoes situation. <clears throat> I would yeah. agree. Yeah. So Emily is basically like having a date. That's, that's what <laughs> Emily is doing now. Emily's on a date and in like typical queer fashion, she's like on a date with somebody, but really just for the sake of processing her feelings about (laughs) another would be girlfriend. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Exactly. Uh, So Caleb and Mona are staking out Mary Drake, who's pacing in a window of the Lost Woods. Caleb tries insulting Mona and calling it a compliment. uh, But she calls him out on his boorish behavior. He's basically like, I can respect your game but you always have to be such a smart ass and this is like the equivalent uh for mona of like telling her that she'd be prettier if she just smiled more yes Um, if she just wasn't so snarky to this man who has hated her for years and been like nothing but a complete jerk to her if she was just a little friendlier to him while she's you know trying to help him save hannah um you know then then you know they could they could get along um so Mona is not having it and i really enjoy that about her uh mary gets a call and now the blue snarfing it can hear a voice of a man that has either a british or an aussie accent caleb triangulates the signal 
and it is coming from a bar called Snookers near Hollis. Now Spencer gets called in. She says she's on it, then sends Aria to investigate further. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what Spencer's part of the plan is currently. Like, I guess just like taking calls and meetings in the Hastings house. Yeah, maybe that, that seems to that seems to be it. Um, I don't know why. Like, I I don't know if she just thought like, oh, Arya is probably closer to Hollis. I I don't know. Also, I'm not sure why when hearing that it might be an Australian accent, no one mentioned Jordan. Yes. I agree. <laughs> and also, like, just on that thought, um, why hasn't anybody maybe looped Jordan in on the fact that Hannah, his <laughs> fiance, is missing? Or Ashley, perhaps? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, also, no one mentions Ren, which I think is interesting, especially considering what? that Melissa was very recently a suspect. Yeah, um, yeah. And that, like, they know that Charlotte had had contact with Ren based on that weird Hannah flashback last season. Um, also, I do really enjoy the, like, competing ex energy of Mona and Caleb, even though I think that, like, their dynamic has been much more fun in at other times. I, I do agree. I feel like they're, they're kind of, um, what they're going for, uh, is that, like, they really want to find Hannah and then have it be like, whose arms will Hannah run into? Yeah, for and sure. Like, it's like it's like the end of The Bachelor or something. Like, who who is Hannah going to run to when we rescue her? And that person gets to have Hannah for, like, the rest of the season. True. Okay. So in a scene that the finale ripped out of my cold, dead hands. <laughs> series finale. Um, but I still choose... To wear to you know if if AD is wearing those creepy Silence of the Lambs goggles, I can wear my Spana goggles, and that those are the goggles I choose to wear while talking about this next scene. I mean, hear me out. What if for season seven we just recapped one scene from each episode? <laughs> I'm thinking outside the box, and I know you texted me to say we could probably get a tight forty-five out of this next interlude. Um, <laughs> just just throwing it out there. Well, I would be I would be absolutely fine with with that with that as we talk about this scene. So back at the torture barn, Hannah has finally, I guess, been permitted some rest. She wakes up to the image of a bangless Spencer hovering over her. Uh, This we will later learn is Alex Drake. But I think it is notable that later in the series, uh, we will see a few scenes of Alex Drake pretending to be Spencer where it is very clear that, like, this is not Spencer. Like, something is up with her. And this Alex in this scene feels very Spencer to me. So I actually choose to believe that this scene is somewhat up for interpretation in terms of how much of this is Alex coming in pretending to be Spencer and how much of this is Hannah kind of imagining Spencer and how much of this is her sort of fusing these two experiences uh, into one because as... Uh, Alex, as Spencer will say in these scenes, a dream is an experience. So Spencer, you know, sits down beside Hannah and Hannah kind of snuggles up to her. Spencer, and I'm, yes, I'm calling her Spencer here. She says, you've got this, Hannah. You're going to be okay. Hannah says that she's afraid that she is going to die in here. But Spencer brushes her hair back and says that she won't let that happen. 
Uh, Hannah continues to snuggle up and Spencer starts talking about dreams and experiences and what is or isn't real. Hannah says that she doesn't really understand any of that, but she's really glad that Spencer is here. She should have listened to her. She thinks that this A is a lot smarter than the others. Hannah says that maybe it's a good thing that they don't know about Charlotte, because if she knew who had killed Charlotte, she would tell. Um, This is a very interesting moment because Alex, as Spencer, has a line about, you know, well, you've told them everything you know, right? And that's what Hannah says, like, it's a good thing we don't know. And then uh, Alex, as Spencer, says that where there is a way in, there is a way out. If AD is able to come into this space, they must be able to leave. And that's what Hannah needs to find. Uh, She kind of, like, strokes Hannah's hair and says that she needs to rest. She'll need her strength for tomorrow. Will you stay with me? Asks Hannah. Always, replies Spencer. And then Hannah lays her head down in Spencer's lap. And Spencer sings Mockingbird to her as she strokes her hair. Now, I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about this scene, unsurprisingly. One of my thoughts, though, that I had not really had until this rewatch is that I genuinely think that Alex is trying to help Hannah escape here. Like, I do not think that Alex wants Hannah to die in this moment. And I'm so curious as to why that is. Like, is it just because it's fun to play with the dolls? Is it because she wants, you know, she has like a grand master plan about how she wants this to shake down? Is it because like she doesn't want a necessary bloodshed on her hands? Or, my preferred interpretation, is it because similar to the way that uh, Alex Drake seems to be a bit of a Sparia shipper, is she sort of trying to, like, manufacture some kind of reconciliation between Hannah and Spencer? Um, what are your thoughts? I I definitely agree with that. Um, yeah, I think that she is being helpful to Hannah here. I think it is notable that they never stop touching in this scene. Yes. Like, they're hugging. Like, Hannah has her, like, you know, Hannah kind of is, like, clinging to Spencer um and then at the end when Hannah has her head in Spencer's lap Alex Drake has her arm around Hannah's middle as she's like stroking her face and her hair like that um there this is not like this is not just like for funsies it doesn't feel like there does definitely feel like there's emotional content here uh and there is a current that is flowing two ways I completely agree. And I really like, first of all, this is the most committed that Ashley Benson seems this whole episode is in this scene. And I can't fault her for anything because like she has awful stuff to do in this episode. But like continuously, as we have talked about, like she is the most invested in scenes with Troyan. Um, But I really, really like and I, I have talked about it before. I will talk about it again, I'm sure. The whole idea of where there's a way in, there's a way out. Because obviously, like, this is the clue that Alex is dropping here. But to me, it really feels like sort of the metaphor for this whole Spalib, Halib, Phalib, whatever situation of, like, there, there was a way into this mess and there has to be a way out of it. And this idea is being presented to Hannah in a moment when she is sharing an intimate 
experience with the person she believes to be Spencer. She is not mentioning Caleb. Caleb is nowhere near this scene. She's not crying out for him. She's not saying to Spencer, you know, if I die, I want you to take care of Caleb. None of that. This is a scene, as far as Hannah knows, between herself and between Spencer. And so I think that it's like in that setup is the answer. Like the answer to the way out is this. It's the two of them. It is not Caleb. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. Like, I I really think that Alex might have been trying to see if Hannah was up for a sex dream here. Like, they yeah. really, like, yes. it, it really does kind of feel like it might it might be on the verge of, of going there. Uh, also, when she says, you know, will Spencer stay with her? And Alex says, always. It's just like, oh, my goodness. Oh it's, my goodness, Alex Drake is so gay for the liars. So yeah, she is. She's playing, it's like she's playing a numbers game and she's like, well, which liar, which of Spencer's little friends can I get to kiss me first? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I, I I, love it. I also just, I mean, I think even if, even if we say, okay, this is Alex, like, this is not far enough from Hannah's understanding of Spencer for this to flag as something weird to Hannah like the way that Alex is reacting here fits with Hannah's understanding of the way that Spencer would react to her um and I also think it's really interesting that she is thinking of Spencer without bangs because it's like it it implies this like deeper level of like emotional connection and sort of the longevity of their relationship with one another yeah yeah I agree uh, also, I love the way that she she says, you're not real, Spence. And she calls her Spence, which is like an affectionate nickname that we hear people use for Spencer. And it's one that I don't feel like we've heard Hannah use in the last half season. Yeah, that is a really good point. That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. It's a there's a there's an absolute an absolute warmth there. Um, yeah, I just think this scene is so interesting and it actually reminds me a little bit of um the scene in shadow play that where Paige and aria are talking about tree climbing where it's like there is a like surface level textual explanation for what the scene is but like you don't have to dig that far to find some like murky gay undertones that are very interesting and very curious um and i'm so glad that like in this mess of an episode at the beginning of this mess of a season we get this scene um, and I know that like it is ultimately torn away from us in terms of what it appears to be, but I'm still grateful that we get it. Well, also I feel like when you think about dream sequences in PLL, um, we have of course the, the one that you just mentioned shadow play, which is like yeah. a whole episode. that's a flash dream. Um, we have Hannah's, uh, Hannah's dream where everybody's in a snow globe mm-hmm. uh, and Noel Khan killed uh, Noel Khan killed the girl at the party, etc. Um, we have a lot of dreams that are very unrealistic. We have, of course, uh, the preview for uh, the time jump that turns out to just be a gas line dream that Emily and Allison have. This dream feels very real. Of all the dreams that we've seen mm-hmm. people have, this is like this is more real even than the was Allison here or wasn't she dreams that the liars used to have when Allison was missing. Like this feels real when when Spencer and Hannah are touching here. 
it feels like it is real physical touching that they are doing. Um, and I think that I think that that really gives it uh, the feeling that like this is something that that could be a dream or it could happen between Hannah and Spencer. Well, it also feels a lot like the scene where Allison drags Emily out of the barn. Yeah. Oh, the barn! Another barn! Another barn. Emily's head is in Allison's lap, much the same way that Hannah's head is in Spencer's lap. There is this question of, like, am I going to die? Is this real? How do I get out of this? Um, There's this sort of ethereal glow around Spencer, similar to the way that there's this sort of ethereal glow around Allison in that scene. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, this was a bit of an homage to that, especially given the, like, morsels of Emerson that we're going to get in a few minutes. So um, it's, yeah, it's really, it's a really interesting moment. And it's also just so interesting to me that it's coming in this episode when Caleb is at his most deplorable and detestable and we in the middle of this you know this last episode we've had the horrible moment where they where Caleb have kissed and like Hannah did that awful thing to Spencer where she like pretended to confess to the murder and Spencer was so heartsick and all of that like there's been so much strife in that little trio and it's like then we have this little moment and it's like this beacon of of light for Hannah at her darkest moment it's really yeah, yeah I, I love it a lot just some dream gals who are dream pals. Who are like dream, like having like dream barn time, dream sexy barn time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have anything else to say about that scene? I I don't. I will have a lot more to say about Spana as this season goes on. Like this was this was sort of the time period that like fully like deputized me as a Spanish shipper, mostly because I needed an escape from like all the awful stuff that was canonically happening. But like, I mean, just as like, just, just to like make it clear, like what this scene meant at the time, like in the, in the fic that we wrote, uh, the, the crossover fic that we wrote, that we wrote around this time period, there was a chapter titled where there's a way in, there's a way. <laughs> like, so. A touchstone. Yes. Yes. A span of touchstone for sure. Oh my gosh. Well, what an absolutely jarring bust this transition <laughs> from that Emmy-worthy display of queerness to Aria doing recon at this dumb bar. Um, she listens to the blathering of many useless men, none of whom she knows, and all of whom are speaking in straight American accents only. She ignores a call from Liam. Some scrawny kid hits B-26 on the jukebox, and even though I don't think this is, I don't think the set is one that we have seen before, uh, I guess in Rosewood, B26 is just always going to call up the Presria theme. Oh, man, this scene cracked me up. Like, she comes in and she's like, I'm looking for a guy, a British guy. And the barkeep is like, can I get you a drink? She orders a beer, doesn't say what beer. He doesn't ask. He just presents her with a beer. And then it's like, because the episode needs to make it very clear that there are like, like there are not British people that she could be, you know, being fooled by in the scene. It's like, there's like, like the guy in the background, it's like, guy with strong Boston accent, (laughs) guy with strong Philly accent. And it's like, it it is like, it's, it is, it is just, it is a funny choice. It is a very, very funny choice. Agree, agree. Um, suddenly 
the bell tolls. And even though that is very, very short, I feel like as the, you know, the historical Emerson, what's that? Oh, well, I'm sorry. We, I thought you were going to take Aria uh, going back to Presser's place. Oh, right, right. I, <laughs> I, I included that as like such a short sentence that I like barely even, I like looped it in with the other scene. Um, Arya abandons the mission to go to Prezra's house and announce that she doesn't know what they are, but she wants to be with him tonight. That's so Arya, the bell tolls, take us to Emerson. <laughs> yeah, like, there are a matter of hours left before Hannah might be killed. And Arya's like, well, forget this whole, forget this whole lead that I was running down. What I really need to do is go fling myself into the arms of my predator boyfriend. Of course, of course. Ugh. Yeah, there there seems to be this vibe almost of like, they've all kind of, even though it's like Hannah's life is on the line and they have this countdown and they're trying to find Hannah, there's kind of this vibe of they've all decided like, it's the end of the world, so we might as well kind of like, just live it up now. And it's like, no, your lives are not all in danger. Hannah's life is in danger and you're not really doing enough to like, change that. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, so... Okay. In spite of this being a season premiere, the whole ticking clock thing that we've had going on, we now get another long filler of, you know, the doorknob turning, someone looking around the De Laurentiis house. Uh, it is Emily. She is startled by Rollins being asleep on the couch here in his home at almost or possibly after 3 a.m. Uh, she sneaks down the hallway to Allie's high school room. Here in this room, we have a scene that I, a self-identified Emerson scholar, had apparently blacked out of my memory altogether. Emily is looking around at Allie's high school bedroom here and is replaying the greatest hits of their ship. We'll be friends forever. Allison musing about how hot Emily would look on top of the Eiffel Tower with a camera shot of the many Eiffel Tower miniatures that Allison has randomly collected, um, new headcanon, like Emily gave her a new one every time they slept together. Um, so I'm counting like at least five there, just, just for you know, future reference. Um, you were always my favorite. You were the hardest one to leave behind. And then there's this long look at the bed with a flashback that is, it's not a flashback, it's actually an entirely different shot sequence of the hookup in Miss Me Times 100. I went back and checked. I replayed the episode, uh, the, the scene that we got in that episode with this one. This camera angle is different. The making out is longer and it's more intense. And this is the one that has Allison topping her. Um, and I feel like it's really interesting. This is obviously, I, I don't think that they like reshot this just for this episode. I think this is like, discarded footage that they had mm -hmm. left over from season five um which is so wild because yeah. why didn't they use this in that episode i mean i think it's because this one makes it like much more clear that they were about to fuck like like yeah. emily is kind of like at like emily's hands are kind of like moving on allison's clothes in a way that like don't don't really leave much doubt about that the fact that allison does like roll on top of her and stuff like yeah oh my goodness um so that's like a fascinating choice <laughs> um okay uh 
it's it's fascinating. Every breath you take is playing, which of course is the song that was playing uh, in the scene where they where they had sex. Uh, it is all super queer, and this it's lovely. This is the kind of Emerson reflection uh, that I am such a fan of seeing Emily grappling with. Um, but would it make so much more sense for her to be grappling with it, say, when Allison got married? or when she was about to sign her into a mental hospital or at any point in season six post dollhouse uh not to minimize this like not to minimize the gayest emerson content that we have seen in a dog's age but isn't this just so typical that they give it to us at this moment when allison and emily are not even in the same place anyway all of this is just a prelude to emily opening a goodwill box and finding a red sweater and being like, oh, Allie, what did you do? Murderous love of my life. Yeah, this is such a curious scene, both from like an inner episode way, but also like from a, like if we take a step back way, because like at this point, I can't exactly remember the timeline of all the behind the scenes stuff, but I feel like we were getting the rumblings of like Emerson Endgame at this point, like that that sort of bell was starting to be rung more and more. And it really does feel like after uh, basically a season of the show, ignoring that Emerson is even a thing that Emily might have unresolved feelings for Allison, that Allison might actually be like grappling with some internalized biphobia. Suddenly the show is like taking a hard left back into Emerson territory. And I mean, I don't hate it. I do think this is like a pretty lovely sequence, but I, I agree. It is really weird. I think it's an interesting, strange choice. Like, part of me thinks that the alternative cut of the Miss Me Times 100 scene was literally just a time thing. Because as we've talked about, they clearly had a few extra seconds to fill. But it also, like, the lingering on the bed before, like, I agree. It does seem to be more heavily telegraphing that sex happened. Um, which, again, is an interesting choice. Um yeah, I just, I think that this is a fascinating moment. I sort of feel like they just felt like they needed to put this moment somewhere because they needed to almost, like, remind the audience that Emerson is even a thing. Because, like, for the audience who's maybe not as tuned in to, like, Marlene on Twitter or who was, like, not really, like, involved in the shipping, it would be reasonable to have forgotten that Emily and Allison were, like, even really a thing. Well, so I love this scene and I hate this scene and it, it's almost, it's almost equal uh, because this is like the writer showing us that they know, like they know what Emerson is. They know yeah. why Emerson is important. They know the lines and the things about Emerson that like Emerson fans are sentimentally attached to, but it's like, they're not showing us what they can give us, they're showing us what they won't. This is like the most yeah. romantic Emerson we're gonna see. And then we're gonna go from this in a scene where Emily and Alistair aren't even in the same place to them having the pug prosal in, in the final episode. It's like, come on, come it's on. Yeah, it's the, that's the other thing that's really annoying about this. Like now that we have now that like the last time I saw this episode, I had not seen what came after it. And like now that I have, 
it's all the more infuriating because it's not like suddenly, okay, now this is like the kickoff to this amazing Emerson, you know, reunion love story that is going to play out over the rest of the season. Like we haven't even gotten the Sabrina Emily relationship yet. We haven't even gotten Paige's return yet. We haven't even gotten, you know, the end of Allison's marriage via car accident yet. Like there is so much that's going to happen before we even get another inkling of Emerson. No, and I, I hate to say this, but do you know what the scene is? Do you know why the scene exists here? Is it because we need to have Emily being torn up over what she's going to do with this sweater? Is it because of anything related to the plot or related to the future of Emerson? No, this is filler. They just needed, like, they just needed more time in this episode. Yeah. So they gave us this little, they gave us this little Emerson. I mean, fine. I like having anything. Uh, that means that like people are remembering about Emerson, but it's it's filler. That's that's why it's in here. I think an alternative choice that they could have made and literally allocated the exact same amount of time to it as this little scene would be instead of this sequence, a flashback to some time period during the time jump that we have not yet seen that showed. Maybe it's like Emily and Allison waking up in bed together and it's like showing that they did have a moment of reunion (laughs) or showing like, you know, Allison like flying out to California after Wayne died and like staying with Emily for a weekend or like something. It could have been 30 seconds long. It could have been as long as the eventual like little moment between Arya and Jason that we'll get. Mm -hmm. Um, That just established that, like, this... Because the other thing that's weird is that it... Because everything that they're showing us, or not even really showing us, but, like, everything that they're playing for us is stuff that happened pre-time jump, it really makes it seem like Emily has not thought about this since it happened five years ago. She, she like, had amnesia about it. And, like, now all of a sudden she's in this room and she's like, wait, oh... Oh, oh. I was like kind of in oh hmm. yeah yeah it's, it's like she just is yeah. having like a memento moment she's just now <laughs> seeing all of her notes about the fact that she was in love with Allison she's like have I had sex on that bed before I feel like I've had sex on that bed before <laughs> it's, I, I don't know this is like the whole thing about like this is an episode where time is supposed to be of the essence uh and then it just it, it doesn't it doesn't even exist like in that other scene, Mary Drake said that she just found out Jessica was dead. Jessica died five years ago. <laughs> yes. Yes, she did. Yes, she did. Yeah. Uh, so back in the barn. Wait, did you have more that you wanted to say about this Emerson scene? I, I didn't. I didn't. Okay. It was, I mean, it, it definitely with the uh, Spana scene, it definitely makes this the queerest episode post jump to date, in my opinion. Plus, Emily kind of went on a date with Sabrina Lemon Bars. <laughs> Sabrina Lemon Bars. Um, yes, I mean the bar is extremely low, but I will, I will grant us. I will <laughs> the grant lemon us. bar is like on the floor. <laughs> the lemon bar. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we were stepping over lemon bar crumbs. I like the. I like though that it's like it's. I. I feel like it's like I'm the Spana scholar, you're the Emerson scholar, and like we're both just tired, and we're both <laughs> just trying our best. <laughs> we are like piecing together the crumbs of this lemon bar to try to make something edible. Um, speaking of Hannah, she wakes up in the torture barn and repeats to herself, 
if there's a way in, there's a way out. If there's a way in, there's a way out. No, this is not her like reminding herself of the etiquette for, you know, when she and Spencer eventually try out fisting. This is her trying to figure her way out of the barn. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, and she finds like a vent thing, maybe like don't ask questions. We don't really know how she gets out. Like it's badly they filmed. <laughs> they should have found a different establishing shot for the barn, in my opinion, because that other one that they showed was full of holes, like the giant one in the roof. It seems like you might be able to somehow get out of it. Um, yes. But you know, as, as it was. Well, uh, so- yeah, it does not at all seem like the fortress that it is being presented as. No. No. So now the countdown clock says 38 minutes left. And it's like, oh my God, if I have to go through another 38 minutes this episode, but good news, it's not really 38 minutes because time doesn't exist. Um, Presria, Spoby, and Caleb are at the Hastings house as Spencer summarizes Mary's Radley file for everyone. Uh, she was in there until age 18 after a child died while she was babysitting. Um, she was in and out for most of her adult life until she got out for good 23 years ago. This is one of those conveniently incomplete files that just doesn't have to mention <laughs> the two kids that she had at that time. But hey, uh, Caleb says Mona just called. Mary left the Lost Woods and she needs backup now. Before the liars can act on this, Emily enters. She says she thinks Allie confessed to murdering Charlotte. Caleb grumps about, well, why didn't you record it? Uh, and she, he's very, very short with her. Like, for someone who's coming in and saying, hey, I may have the solution to the crime, uh, Caleb is as shitty to her as he's been to every other woman in this episode. Uh, Emily then reveals the red sweater from the Goodwill box, uh, but she, like, puts the sweater down on the counter, and she wants the liars to review it with her one more time. They debate Allie's possible motivations. They worry about trading one of their own for another. Aria, like, insists, no, no, Allie is guilty, Hannah is innocent, uh, but as they are still talking about this, Caleb just goes rogue, he steals the sweater and Spencer's phone and just drives off into the night. What a prince. Yeah, one of the things that's annoying about the whole framing of this storyline of Allison might have killed Charlotte and, like, we're going to turn her in is that it's, like, it leaves absolutely no space for nuance. Like, Spencer a couple of times is like, well, I think it was self-defense. But Arya being like, well, Hannah Hannah not guilty, Allie guilty, therefore Allie go AD. Like, it's so, it's just so, like, rote and, um, you know, uninteresting. Also, I feel like already they are kind of dropping in here a little bit like Spencer feeling some level of like affection toward Mary Drake I think we're meant to feel like oh Spencer relates to Mary Drake because she feels like you know Jessica may have treated Mary the way that Melissa has always treated her um and that like I don't know the way that Spencer was talking about her here I felt like there was she was giving her a little bit more leeway than she usually gives people Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. Uh, So Caleb is on the phone with Mona, who says that she has lost Mary. But Caleb says it doesn't matter. He has what they need. He is at the Lost Woods with the jacket, which, like, it's still not clear to me how A.D. seeing this jacket would be like, this is proof that whoever had this jacket killed Charlotte. Because the jacket was only relevant in terms of, Aria's seeing of the jacket 
Well, Toby had said there would be blood on the jacket. Oh, although, although we don't see any blood on the jacket because that line was ADR'd in later when someone probably pointed out that plot hole in the editing process. So. Right, right. Again, like, if this had maybe been mentioned before this episode, it would feel a lot more relevant. But now it's just like, this is the latest thing. The jacket, the murder jacket. Uh, he texts AD saying that he has proof. And then he just leaves. Like, he doesn't hang around. He just is like, okay, time to go. Well, also, um, here's a question that I have, which is that <laughs> if the murder jacket is the smoking gun. Yes. Why couldn't Rollins have found this proof by himself, by searching the house that he, you know, lives in? Right, right. Good question. Why did we need the liars to go through all of this? Like, why did we have to have two different liars break into the house on this day in order to find it? Well, the show is doing this very interesting thing where it's like they don't want the liars to fully not trust Rollins because like they want that to be kind of the hammer that they're going to drop soon. But like they're also not being honest with Rollins and do seem kind of sketched out by him for good reason because he's acting hella sketchy. But like it's this weird kind of like Schrodinger's cat of suspicion with regards to Rollins where it's like they both trust him and don't trust him. At the same time, he's both being clued in and not clued in at all. Um, I also think, like, nobody talks about the possibility of taking this jacket to the police, which seems also strange to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, with seconds left on the timer, a black-clad figure arrives at Torture Porn Barn. Uh, <laughs> night vision goggles show no sign of Hannah, because Hannah herself is running through the woods, barefoot in her underwear, She is slipping, she is falling, she is super scared. Uh, She sees a road and some headlights as she runs to it. She tries to flag down a car that is too far away. Another car appears, it stops, Hannah is saved. Maybe, because the driver of the car is none other than Mary Drake. And this was another scene, I had to go back and watch this twice because the lighting was so bad (laughs) that you almost can't tell that it's Mary Drake at first. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. Uh, Then the black clad baddie picks up the red sweater and puts it in a plastic evidence type bag back at Lost Woods. I do. I, I, if memory serves me correct, they don't really do anything with this. But I kind of do like the just the idea that like all of the other liars by virtue of what's happened since Hannah got kidnapped uh, know and like somewhat understand who Mary Drake is but like this is Hannah's first moment and like Hannah must be thinking like what the fuck Jessica De Laurentiis is alive because like she doesn't know any of the other stuff and I feel like that could have been a cool idea of like some of the liars knowing something that Hannah doesn't but I don't think they really do anything with it agreed agreed Uh, So Caleb returns to Command Central at the Hastings. Uh, He is, you know, eager for any news, but there has been radio silence. Um, He doesn't, you know, really comfort or apologize to Spencer in any way. Uh, Emily thinks that one of them should go to Welby to check on Allison, uh, which, first of all, is like, 
it seems like Welby probably has like very specific visiting hours of when you can go. Also, they keep harping on and on about how Welby is a safe place. Welby is a safe place. Allison will be safe there because Welby is a safe place. Uh, first of all, as if like mental institutions in this town don't have a history of being horrifically unsafe, uh, but also in a way that like makes it so clear that like what's coming is the reveal of how unsafe Welby is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, agreed. Uh, which leads us to that very scene. At Welby, Allison is still in restraints. An ominous figure enters the room. And once again, they're doing like this ominous figure is approaching the room. A nurse smiles at them. Who is it? Well, of course, it's fucking Rollins. Like, you already told us that Rollins and Mary Drake were the villains in the last episode of the last season. I don't know why you're like, I don't know why they're acting like this now. Um, so, uh, he's asking Allison how she feels, wondering if she seems a little bit crazy. He pulls a syringe and vial out of his suit jacket pocket. He leans in and tells her he's going to take care of her. He wants to make sure she lives a good, long life, rotting away in here. He whispers in her ear, I know you killed Charlotte. Then he says, karma, like you, can be such a bitch. Then he plunges the syringe into her arm and Allison's eyes widen in pain and terror. I love and also hate that he starts the sentence and he's like, I'm going to make sure you live a long life. British accent activated, rotting away in here. <laughs> the way that he's like, I am going to drop the act halfway through this sentence because it is very important for me to like establish that I'm evil and British. Um, yeah, I, I also like, I don't, it, this seems like a weird time to reveal the con. Like, it feels like maybe, I don't know, it feels like she's maybe a little bit too, it's, like, too recent. Like, he should wait to reveal the con until she's, like, been in here for longer and is, like, fully gone. Well, it's so funny that you mentioned that because uh, when when I said at the beginning of this episode they did, like, the four days earlier, and I was like, oh, my God, are they going to kill Rollins four days from now? Uh, and, and then, like, so if you think about that fact, that means that Allison actually only spends four to five days in the mental hospital. Yeah. In my memory, it was like, well, half the season she's in there. Well, yeah, half the season she is in there because it's only a 10-episode season. And right. apparently now every episode is going to be one day. Uh, so good times. Good times. In that time, Rollins is going to reveal the con. She's going to be forcibly impregnated with Emily's eggs, and then they're going to kill. He, Rollins is going to like be taking her out to the woods to kill her after saying he wants her to live a good long life. Yep. Um, he's going to take her out to the woods to kill her, and then he is going to get run over by Hannah with the car. Well, and I mean, on the one hand, like I'm, like I'm glad that it's not that Allison is like wasting away in there for months, but it does kind of take a little bit of the zing out of it all that it's like. She's in there for four days. Well, like, what what, what extremely safe mental institution within four days is going to have Allison go from, like, voluntarily checking herself in because she's having a hard time to code white. She's had a complete psychotic break to Hannibal Lecter mask. <laughs> also, okay, so I don't remember the particulars of exactly how Alice, like, who... Like, exactly how Allison gets impregnated. Because I know that it's, like, Emily's eggs, Ren's sperm, Alex's plan, 
And then like Rollins, do- I don't know is if Rollins is the one who actually does it, but it's like, wow, they had to time this. Like they had to make sure it was like when Allison was ovulating, like <laughs> had to like really like get this right. Like what if Allison had like been on her period or something? Like, you know, they, they, there were a lot of like moving parts to this plan that they really had to bank on working. God. And I, like, I don't remember which part, because, like, I think we get a, re- a reveal soon-ish that, like, Mary was not involved. Like, Mary thought that, like, Elliot took it too far or something. I don't know. So, anyway. Well, previous, like, like you're talking about how season seven is, like, resetting the board. Um, remember how at the end of season six, they had their villain moment of, like, now we own 51% of Karasimi. Like, yes. So, so, like, at that point, it was like, oh, so it's, like, about revenge, but also about money, I guess? Um, and then, yeah, now here in season seven, we're going to get some kind of, like, oh, took it too far, question, question mark, question mark uh, thing. And it's also not, I mean, again, it's, like... It, it's useless being like, this thing doesn't make sense. This thing doesn't make sense. But like, there's no mention of Karasimi here. And there's no, ma- none of the liars are like, huh, isn't it interesting how if Allison is like code whiting all over the place, like somebody else would be involved in these very fancy shares that she has? Like, who would benefit from this? Also, like, in addition to, uh, they don't call Jordan or Ashley to advise that Hannah has been kidnapped. Uh, they don't seem to notify Jason that Allison is in the mental institution. Yeah. 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 No, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Jason is like, he's like Mike Montgomery. Like he, he exists in some moments and not in others. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely uh, does not exist right now. No, 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 no. Uh, maybe he's off with Mike. Maybe they're off, you know. Oh, good for them. Mike might be into the Jesus look. We don't know. <laughs> Um, so my question for you is we've been talking a lot about sort of the, the dread of starting season seven. We had a very long run of bonus content before diving into this season. Uh, was this episode better, worse, or the same than you thought? And after seeing this episode, are you more excited to continue with this season or less excited or the same amount of excited? Oh, what a good question. I would say I'm marginally more excited okay. um, because one of the things that I really like, one of the things that I really don't like about season seven is the torture porn with Hannah. And I feel like we have gotten most of that out of the way. I know there are going to be flashbacks to it, um, but we did get most of that out of the way in this episode. So yeah. with that behind us, uh, with that behind us, I, I do feel a little bit happier. And seeing this episode, I did remember that, like, one of the good things about this particular half season is it does have more Mona involvement um, yeah. than, than a lot of other periods of the show. So I am, you know, looking on the bright side, I am excited uh, to see more, more Vander Jesus involvement in the plot. And also just the, like, the the campiness like now that i know what happens and i can't be like i can't be spending all my time wishing for it to be something better because it's already done uh now i feel like i can enjoy mary drake as a villain a little bit more like yeah we're we're coming up on an episode i don't know if it's going to be i don't know where in this half season it's going to be but i remember a particular camera shot where she is visiting spencer 
at Veronica's like empty campaign headquarters and like there's this gigantic picture of Veronica that's like on the window and Mary Drake like steps right in front of her so it's like it's like the, the whole camera angle is like Spencer I'm your mother um, and it's just like it's it's like wow it is raining anvils around here they are just pelting down uh like hail so yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to to those types of of moments recurring. Yeah, I I do think that at this point they had a much clearer idea of what the end game was going to be, both with the couples and with the ultimate reveal. Um, it seems pretty clear to me based on this episode. I don't know whether they had decided that Alex Drake was AD, but I think they had decided that Alex Drake existed in some form by the time they wrote this episode. That doesn't mean that the writing is, like, really good, but I do think it's interesting, like, there's maybe a little bit less, like, flailing episode to episode just because they're, we are sort of slowly working towards something. Also, like, Noel is going to be back, Jen is going to be back, those are both two good things. Uh, there is more action, like, there's definitely a higher body count in season seven than there was in season six, um, or at least in 6B. Um, and, you know, I don't love all of those deaths, but I do like that they give a little bit more momentum. Uh, Hit and Run, Run, Run Girl is, I really do like that episode. So I'm excited that we're going to be getting to that episode, too. There's also In the Eye Abides the Heart, which is good. Paige is going to be coming back. So, like, there's there's some there's some stuff to look forward to. There is, there is. One of the things that I really remember about the, the start, like the first half of this half season uh, is that this is a point where the show totally loses track of what the mystery is supposed to be. Um, because they keep, sure. they, they keep doing the, the grave digging. Like, we're going to get back to that a bunch of times. Like, that's going to be the mystery. Like, who are the liars burying or whatever? Um, and so it's like, is the mystery, who are they going to kill in a few episodes from now? Is the mystery, who killed Charlotte, which they only, like, periodically seem to have any interest in finding out about? Um, it, it really, uh, I feel like these next several episodes are going to be ones where the show is, is particularly lost. But when we get to the end of 7B, we are also going to have Avataria to look forward to. So that, True. of course, um, you know, the sight of Avataria is a joy forever. So Another thing about this this part of the series is that more than ever before, I think, Money means nothing. Money. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Nonsense. Noel has lost his money. Um, you know, like uh, Jason, I think there's stuff with Jason and money. Like Lucas is going to lose money. Hannah's oh, yeah. financial a situation. Allison is going to like lose all of her money. Yeah. Many yes. people, many people are periodically going to be losing all their money and then gaining all their money. Like, yeah, it's, it's definitely. It's definitely a, like a rising and falling fortunes uh, each episode kind of thing. Yes, yes, for sure. And, you know, nothing more fun than like a plot about nonsensical money situations. But we're also going to have Emily in suspenders. So we're going to have there are bright spots. There are bright spots that are ahead. We're going to have Emily in suspenders. We're going to have more. Uh, we're going to have Spencer and Hannah sharing a beer on the on the in the park like so there's there's some stuff um is there anything more though that we want to say about tick tock bitches 
absolutely not. <laughs> We've said everything there is to say. Uh, if you have thoughts on this episode, like if you have like we we definitely like put on our queer glasses as we always do, like looking at it through that lens. If you have scenes that like you have even more queer readings on, of course, as always, we want to hear from you. Uh, you can, of course, send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. You can check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast. You can check out our Spotify, everybody a, everybody gay. Uh, you can also leave us a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. Uh, next week, the episode is called Bedlam for some reason. I'm not really sure the relevance of that, but uh, I'm sure it will make so much sense when we get there. So until then, take care.